You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So we've been going through a series that I titled Dear Church for the past four weeks, and uh, we've been kind of concentrating and zoning in on uh, on the churches, the seven churches in Asia, uh, Asia Minor, that are in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And those were actual churches uh, that that, uh, the Lord had uh, instructed the Apostle John to, to write to of this vision that he had given him for, for the church. Um, and so he wrote to, you know, these communities, big cities like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, which was like the, 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 the capital of the imperial there in, in Asia. And then he wrote to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, and then last to Laodicea. We're going to look at every one of them. Um, and as we've been seeing uh, each letter, uh, we've been prefacing it with some important things. For example, one of the things that we've been saying, and I've been, I've been really uh, trying to uh, bring forth to the, the congregation, is that uh, there are four major views on eschatology. That's end times, uh, how we look at end times, and especially the thousand years uh, in, uh, in Revelation. And what I've said is that there's four uh, views from very good scholars. Each, each view has great scholarship, and they have disagreements on each one. And uh, I'm not here to, to bring a, 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 a single uh, focal point on one of those views. But what I'm here to try to present to our church is that we all agree on one thing. And we agree that Jesus is coming back for his people. We all agree on that. There's no disagreement. And so I think we should major on what we're united in and then look at how these letters uh, how they impacted the, the first century church, and then how does it impact our church uh, today? And so we, we have been looking at that, and I, I said there's seven attitudes that I think every, uh, that it, they're, they're spelled out in Scripture, number one, and that every Christian, every Christ follower should have these attitudes. But I'm going to press pause real quick. Pause, okay? I know this is in my message, but I have to do this because I missed something. So there's a couple here that is... We just love them to death. Just love them, love them, love them, love them. And they've been gone for a month. And they've been in Central America for a month. And they just got back from their trip. And I forgot to. I, I saw you guys. So, Brennan, Becky, will you stand up? Because you made it back. First time I've seen you. Love you guys. So they've been on the mission field in Central America for, thir- for a month. And uh, Brent, you look wonderful. Uh, you look like if you've been eating good. So Be- Becky, you look wonderful. You guys look incredible. And so, uh, so praise the Lord that you're back. Uh, we're excited about that. Okay, unpause, play, message. <laughs> so all these, uh, we all agree that, that Jesus is coming back and, and that we should have ad- an attitude uh, or many attitudes that are reflecting his return. For example, I, I, first week I said we should be eagerly waiting for him to come back because this is not our home. 
right? We should be eagerly waiting for, for Jesus to, to come back. We're going to a place where there's no more, there's no more abuse, there's no more rape, there's no more, uh, there's no more brokenness. Uh, we're, we're waiting for, for him to come, right? We should love his appearance with the second attitude of the, of the second week. Not only are we waiting for him, but we're going to see him face to face. We're going to have this, this encounter with the risen Christ, and we're going to see him for who he is. Uh, and then week three, I talked about we should exercise patience. Even though we're, 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 we love his appearing and we're eagerly waiting, we know that Jesus is going to come at the perfectly right time. He's not going to be early. He's not going to be late. He's going to come at the right time. And so we should, we should exercise patience, waiting, uh, and, and be eagerly waiting for him to come. The fourth attitude, this is today. The fourth attitude that every follower of Christ should have is that we should purify ourselves as we're waiting. None of us are perfect. And none of us will ever be perfect. But because God is holy, his people Christ followers should be progressively looking more and more like Jesus every day. Every day there should be a change in us. Every day there should be a transformation in us. Uh, that, that's a big word. It, it's called sanctification. That means you're set apart. When, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you become a follower of Christ, uh, you're sanctified. You're, you're set apart. And, and, and what that means, there's, there, there's two uh, expressions of that. The first one is positionally you've been set apart. And so at, at one time we were here. Uh, James Reese was right here in a dark place. I was living in darkness, but not only was I living in darkness, the Bible says that I was darkness. Remember last week, we talked about that. And, and God, when I came to Jesus, he, he moved me from, from that domain of darkness, from being darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now I am the, I'm in the kingdom of light, and, and his light has shown on me. And not only has it shown on me, but it shines through me. And, and I'm, I'm in this sanctified position, being set apart. And I'm holy, not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that Jesus did on the cross. See, his blood cleanses me of all my unrighteousness. My past unrighteousness, my present unrighteousness, and my future unrighteousness. His blood is a cleansing agent in my life. And it makes me holy unto him. So that's, I'm positionally sanctified in Christ. But I'm also progressively sanctified. And what that means is that day by day, hour by hour, uh, God is moving me in a direction where I am looking more like Jesus every day. I, I'm, I'm taking steps and I'm walking out this positional sanctification with a progressive sanctification. I can't talk the way that I used to talk. The vulgarity that came out of my mouth, the things that I said, it's very difficult for me to say those words anymore because Christ lives in me. And progressively, there's changes going on. I can't treat my wife the way I treated her before I wasn't saved. I can't treat people. I can't say the same things or, or think the same things uh, the, the way I used to. I'm progressively being purified. And so the Bible says that every believer should have an attitude of purifying ourselves. The Apostle John, the same writer of Revelation in his first epistle... He wrote this, he said, when we abide in him, we do that so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
A key word there is at his coming. Another translation says when he appears, when he comes back the second time. He is going to come back. And at that time, we don't want to shrink away. We don't want to be feeling, oh, what, what am I doing? Am I not doing the things that will glorify the Lord? You know, the New Testament is very intentional about teaching us the second coming of Jesus. John went on to say in, in that first letter, he said in verse 3 of chapter 3, he said, everyone who hopes in him purifies him or herself as he is pure. You see, beloved, it's important that we understand that we're saved by grace and only grace, not by anything that we can do. There, there, there will be no bragging in, in heaven. There will be no accolades in heaven. It's only by what Jesus has done. It's by grace that I've been saved. But this same grace that has saved me leads me to do things that glorify God. He directs me in a way that, that I don't shrink from him. How are we going to be when Jesus returns? So we have a dog. We have a dog. We inherited a dog. We didn't go out looking for this dog. And this dog's name is Kobe, Kobe Bean. And that's crazy. I, we inherited it from my son, my oldest son, who somehow has a way of going and purchasing dogs and then does not, is not able to keep them. And we tell him, you need to find him a good home. And he'll call us. He said, I found him a good home. Who is it? It's you guys. So anyway, we got this dog, Colby, and, and, and every morning, every, we got him as a puppy, and, and every morning when we let him out, we let him out into the laundry room, and in the laundry room, we have a doggy door that takes him out to the backyard. And so what he does is he, we let him out to the, to the laundry room, and, and he's fine every morning and goes out through the doggy door, especially when it's warm, and he goes out to uh, the backyard and does what dogs are supposed to do in the backyard. But when it's cold... Things change. When it's cold and there's rain outside and we see the rain through the doggy door or maybe at times that in San Manuel when it snows, there's snow and you see it through the doggy doors. And Kobe being, we let him out into the laundry room and as he goes out, uh, we close the door and we tell him, you go outside. And when we come back, we find a liquid substance that is in our laundry room. And the liquid substance looks a little bit like Mountain Dew. It's a yellow liquid that's all over the floor by the water heater most of the time. And as he's grown older, there is more of a liquid on the floor. And so my wife and I, when this happens, and we're kind of used to it, we, we, we go out there, and, and when we find that liquid substance, we find him that he is looking at us with a very with a face that's lowered down and not looking at us most of the time, just face to face with his eyes and just waiting for us to pet him. And we'll say these words. It's every time that this happens, we'll say these words, my wife and I, so don't just blame me. We'll say, Kobe, did you pee in the laundry room? And as soon as we say that word, P-E-E, -E, Kobe goes like this. And he shrinks his head away from his loving masters. And then we love on him and so we clean it up. And we love on him and we say, Kobe, you cannot be peeing in the laundry room. 
Well, there's coming a day that the Lord is coming back. And I don't want him catching me peeing in the laundry room. When he returns, I don't want him getting this view. That's for real men. So we've been, we've been going through, through uh, the Revelation, and, and we've been looking at the different churches. In Ephesus, uh, the, the church was commended for their many works. They were doing a lot of great things for God. They were persevering, and they were going through the struggles that there are in life. They, they had a very strong stance against distorted teaching and immorality that tried to permeate the church. But they were rebuked by the Lord because they were lacking in love that is a love for God primarily, and then from that, it's reciprocated to people in their life, especially the church. The church in Smyrna, uh, Jesus wrote, and he commended them for withstanding the attack of the devil that was coming within the church. They were slandered by those that called themselves believers of Christ. They were even imprisoned by those that called themselves believers in Christ and were financially challenged. But Jesus told them, I have your back. It doesn't matter what you're going through because you're following the things of God and you think you're poor, but actually you're very rich. And Jesus did not rebuke the church in Smyrna, but commended them on everything that they were doing. Last week, we looked at the church in Pergamum. And the church in Pergamum was commended for being a light in a city that was dark. They had pressure from the, from the enemy, not from the inside of the church, but from outside of the church. But they held fast to the name of Jesus. And we talked about how important it is that the world around us will try to steal us from professing the name of Jesus Christ. Because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And we find that happening in our world, that they're trying to take the name of Jesus from, out, from the most important thing, taking Jesus out of the schools, and our schools are a mess. They're taking the name of Jesus out of our, out of our government, and, and our government can become a mess. And as those people that are proponents of bringing Jesus back into our government and into the schools are being battled, but we know that Jesus changes lives. And so the church at Pergamum was commended for that. But we also found that they were rebuked because they allowed sexual immorality to penetrate the ministry, and that happened through idol worship. And I, and I mentioned to you, and this is vitally important, that anytime we put anything or any person above God, anything that we put Jesus in second place, put Jesus as second place and put something in front, that there is a, there is a potential that we will, uh, we will distort the sexual beauty that God has given to man and women. And that beauty is, is, is expressed in marriage. And when you put idols in front, you will, you will become sexually immoral and you will do things that are going to not only uh, do damage to, to, to your relationship with God, it will do damage to you as a person and to every relationship that you have. So we saw that last week. And so today we're looking at the church in Thyatira. And the church in Thyatira is a, a church that was from a... It was a wealthy town. That's important for us to grasp. You can even write this down. It was a wealthy town, not a huge metropolis, not a big city. It was a town that was wealthy. It was in the northern part of the province of Lydia. Lydia was famous for its merchandise of dye, merchandise of, of copper. 
And uh, in fact, in Acts 16, if you read Acts 16, there's a woman by the name of Lydia that Paul met at Philippi. And there at Philippi, this woman Lydia, who was from the region of Lydia and a seller of purple dye, gave her life to Jesus. And as she gave her life to Jesus, her life was completely transformed. When she gave her life to the Lord, she went back to this region and there's a, there's a potential, there's a possibility that she was the one that, was in, that initiate, initiated that the church would, would go forth. Anyways, this church in Thyatira was, 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 uh, was formed and, and God was doing uh, wonderful things. It was not on ma- any major roads, so it was kind of a backwoods community. Think about that as we go into the reading. Uh, it was noted for the guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S, the merchant guilds, and, and what they were, were, they were associations. They were associations of, of, of coppersmiths. They were associations of, of, of selling uh, dyes or, or selling uh, all, all kinds of different merchants. And uh, they operated kind of like a union. They uh, were in control of what was sold and how it was sold in the entire region. They were in control of how much money you would make and how much, uh, uh, how much you should work and how you should work. It was also regarded, regarded as a holy city in, in, in a pagan religions and uh, throughout history. But at this time, in the first century, there was a famous temple to the sun god, and the sun god at that time was the was god Apollo. And so they worshiped there, and it was famous. People came from all over the place to worship Apollo. Now, that's important to us because this is the only place in the letters where Jesus refers to himself as he's writing as the Son of God. Probably to, as a rebuttal to the God of the Son, small g. And so as we go and, and, and we look at this, it's going to help us to understand what was going on. Let me pray and then we'll go into the word. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, which is, which is truth. And I just pray that you uh, enable us to hear what your spirit has to say to each person in here, Lord God. Open up our, our spiritual ears. Open up uh, spiritual hearts to receive everything that you have, Lord God. I pray that you will use me as a messenger that will bring glory to your name, Lord God, and, and, uh, and Lord, that's, that's my, my sole desire, is, is, is for you to be glorified and for lives to be changed, for hearts to be, to be bent toward you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So verse 18 of, of chapter 2 of Revelation, uh, and I'm reading from the ESV, it says, and to the angel or messenger of the church of Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, verse 22, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. 
or great distress unless they repent of her works. Notice that. It says her works. And I will strike her children dead. Children there probably means followers. So it's not like they're children. It's followers. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira uh, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay any uh, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule. Uh, them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a sobering letter. And we read that letter, and, and what strikes me just first of all is that God sees everything. In our life. He cares that much about every detail of our life. And we see that he commended, he commended the church there in Thyatira. And, and, and as he commends them, I love the way that the message paraphrase puts it. It says this, I see everything you're doing for me. It's impressive. The love and the faith and the service and the persistence, yes, it's very impressive. You get better at it every day. And what we can glean from that is that every church that's following the purposes of God, we desire, we strive to do the things that bring glory to God, do the things that, that, that really put us in that relationship with God, do the things that that, that, that really do a, a, a work in our hearts, and it's a, it's a separation from the things that we were at one time, those things that we were here. And we were ashamed of, of, of people seeing the things that we were living, those, those places that maybe we were not ashamed at the time that we were living in, but when Jesus came into our life, when we came into the light, those things, when we look back to them, it kind of nauseates us. Because there's, a change, there's, a, there's an internal change in our hearts. And you strive to become more and more like Jesus. You don't, you don't live in the past. You live in what God's doing in the present and what God has for us in the future. You see, our dreams, our dreams, beloved, have got to be bigger and greater than our past memories. Did you know that with Jesus? Your dreams, your aspirations, where God has taken you, have got to be bigger than where he found you. And so the, the, this church in, in, in Thyatira, they, they, were, they were working, and, and he says the, the first uh, uh, commendation, the first commandment that he gives is their unselfish service for the Lord. God took notice of all the work, all the labor that the church in Thyatira was doing. Now, this is important because remember that this church, if you look at the background, it had these guilds, and these guilds were famous all over the region. These guilds, these associations said, this is how you're supposed to work. This is when you're going to work. This is how much you're going to make for working. And do not cross 
the borders. You do what we tell you. When we tell you, you get paid as much as, as, as we tell you to get paid. And we're going to fight for you. And we're going to make sure that you're taken care of. But don't do any more. If you're an electrician, do not do anything but change the light bulb. If you're a, if you're a, a, a manual laborer, you should not be doing this. If you're digging here, you shouldn't do that. They told him exactly what they were going to do. Now, here's the thing that happens when Jesus comes into your life. Is you don't do work for people. You start to do work for God. You don't do work when the boss is around only. You actually do work even when the boss isn't around. You don't do, do work. Some of you guys are managers in here. Some of you guys are, 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 have been CEOs. Some of you guys have you know, just been employees. Some of you are employers. And you understand that there, a lot of times there's man service. When people are around, you work real hard. But when people aren't, hey, hey, nobody's watching. And the Lord says, I see everything that you're doing. And so he says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your service. You see, you're not saved by serving, but you are saved to serve. Did you grab that? You're not saved by what you've done. You're saved by what he's done. But because of what he's done is so incredible in your heart that you start to do things for his glory. And every child of God, every child of God, wherever you're planted, wherever you're working, you should exemplify a good work ethic that, bring, a good work ethic that brings glory to God without people having to watch us. And these guilds right here, if you read the history of them, these guilds, these, these associations, they would have these parties, and they'd all gather together. And there was a lot of pressure. You had to be in these guilds. For you, to work, for you to work with the merchants, you better be in a guild. For you to work for the coppersmiths, you better be in a guild. For you to work in the, in the dyers, or these, working with these beautiful uh, colors, you better be in a guild. And if you weren't in a guild, then you couldn't work. Now, Christians came, uh, Christians became uh, believers, these people that were in the guilds, and then they began to have a, to have a problem. Because they didn't want to do things to bring glory to themselves or only when their bosses were there. They wanted to work unto the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I can talk from my perspective. When I came to Christ and I was working underground and had been trained up in a lot of different ways, when Jesus became real in my life, my work ethic changed for the good and for the glory of God. Here's the second thing they were commended for. Their genuine love for God and people. Again, Jesus says, I know the things that you do. I have seen your love. How many of you know that you can see love? You can see love at work. Love is more than words. There's action behind love. There's hands that come with love. There's the, the hands that, that will go and embrace someone that's hurting. There's feet that come with love that will walk you across the street to someone that needs your help. There, there are, there's uh, arms that come with love that will embrace that person that's broken, that's been abused. And Jesus said, I have seen 
your love. You see, people don't need to hear, people don't need to hear the church say, I love them. They need to see our love lived out. And I believe when the love of God is lived out through the church, and the church is not a building, amen? The church is what? It's God's people. When the love of God is expressed through his church, communities are changed and lives are changed. The third, the third uh, uh, thing that he commended this church for was their unwavering, unwavering faith. Their unwavering faith. Every person who's sitting here in this service is trusting something. You're trusting someone. And what you believe will dictate how you live your life. If you're, if you're straddling the fence with God, oh, maybe I'll walk with God, maybe I won't. If you're straddling the fence, your life will, will display that you're straddling the fence. If, 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 you're, if you don't really trust in God, your, your life will be lived out like if you don't trust in God. If God is your anchor, if Jesus Christ is your anchor in everything that you do, every trial, every storm that you go through, you're anchored in Christ, your life will display your faith. And Jesus said, I, I have seen your faith. I see who you're trusting. I see what you're trusting. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Where does my substance come, come from in life? Where do I get my significance? Do I get it from people? Do I get it from what I drive? Do I get it from where I live? My significance comes from my faith in the one who has a mansion waiting for me. In the one who has a beautiful dwelling place with my name on it. Not because of anything that I've done here on earth, but because of me trusting in what he did on the earth by conquering sin and death on the cross at Calvary. And your life will change when your trust changes. When your trust is pointed in God's direction, your, your life will change. The fourth thing that they were commended on is their endurance. Their endurance in the daily grind. And, and how many of us in here are in the grind? Just say, I'm in the grind, Pastor. Every day it seems like just going through stuff. There's just things coming at me. There's just one thing after another. The Apostle Paul said, I run the race. I finished the course. I fought the good fight. And now there awaits for me this promise that I will be, there's a crown of righteousness that awaits me. But not only me, everyone who loves his appearing. How many of us, we're in the grind. You're going through a battle. And the enemy of your soul, he's bringing, he's bringing it on. He's bringing darkness into your life. He's bringing all kinds of stuff into your life. And you're battling because you're a child of light. You're a child of the king and you're going through it. And you need to know that God sees your patient endurance and what I've come to find out in my life 53 years of living here on this wonderful good earth is that life is not a sprint 
that life is a marathon. And my faith in God is not a sprint. It's not like, I won. No, it's only like three seconds. Did you see how fast that was? Jeez. Pull the muscle, pull the hammy. Now think about it, beloved. Think that life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And we have to endure patiently through, through every step. Uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews put it like this in chapter 10, verse 36, he, and through verse 39. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. I'm going to say it one more time if you didn't hear me. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you can continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and he will not delay. And what do we do? We love his appearing. We eagerly wait. We patiently wait. We purify ourselves. He says, and my righteous ones will live by faith, and not by works, but by what? We're going to live by? That is so weak. We're going to live by? That was weaker. That's better. We're going to live by? Faith. We're going to trust in the one who's holy. We're going to trust in the one who's righteous. We're going to trust in the one who paid it all. And he says, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. The devil wants you to turn away. The devil wants you to turn around and go the other way instead of going to God. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We are the faithful ones. Faithful. Full of faith. In the one who paid it all. In the one who took my shame. In the one who took my sin, and the one who took my failures, and the one that was there when I was in the pit of hell. He is the one that I put my trust in. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the life changer. He's the game changer. He said, I commend you for all these things, but let me tell you something, that when, when, when things are going really good, when the Lord provides $79,000, when the Lord, he's, he's doing a great work and we see people getting saved, when he's doing all these great things, all that, that they were seeing in, in Thyatira, all these things, can I tell you that the enemy will penetrate? He'll try to come in. And he says, says he rebuked them, not for being corrupted from without, but from being poisoned from within. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes the world's not the problem. Sometimes it's what can happen here. And we have to be careful. I'm talking to leadership. I'm talking to myself here. I'm talking to, to when things are going really well that, that, I, that, that I don't check myself, that I don't have introspect, that I don't make sure that, that this right here, this is my wife if you're new anyways. This is my wife right here. And she's got a cold so I can't get too close, but love you, baby. That I keep this right. Because that is my first ministry. 
before anyone else. This is my first ministry. And so what, 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 what uh, the, the Lord is speaking to this church, is, he says this. He says this. He says, why do you let that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion? And what, what, what Jezebel, what that spirit of Jezebel, what it was doing is it was bringing people in, bringing men in and sexually seducing them. And then with that, leading them to put God second. And that can happen in any church. I'm wise enough, I pray. I'm wise enough to know that that could happen to me. I don't want it. I don't want no part of it. But I know that I am not all that great without God. You see, Jesus was betrayed not from the outside, but from the inside. And Jesus was denied three times, not from the outside, but from the inside. And when things are going really well, think, I want you to process this with me. When things are going really well, financially, when things are going really well in people and you're serving and you're doing all these things, you don't worry as much. You don't even sometimes depend as much on God. That's why I always say, Lord God, with money, Father, don't let me ever put my trust in money. Let me look at that dollar bill. Let me look at that 20. I don't know what a Ben Franklin looks like, but if I had one, I would say, let me, let me be reminded that it says on that dollar, in God we trust. I don't ever want to forget that without God being the very centerpiece of my life, I could fall prey to a spirit of Jezebel. And God forbid that it would destroy this and my immediate family. But not only that, that it would destroy this. And Jesus says, I care about you so much, church in Thyatira. I care about you so much that I'm looking and I see that spirit that's working inside. And some of you men are getting caught up. Real men, real men. I'm talking to a real man. Get your foot from out from the, from the laundry room. I say, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. And I want to honor you with my wife. I want to honor you with my kids. I want to honor you because when I do, you will honor me. He loves you. He doesn't condemn you. This is not a, this is not a letter of condemnation. This is a letter of restoration. Why, why, does, why does God deal with, with, with sin? Because sin destroys our life. When you get caught up in porn, it'll destroy your life. You'll dishonor that person that you should be giving your, your love to. When you, you'll, bring that, you'll bring that image places that you shouldn't. 
Why does he, uh, why does he deal with dishonesty? Why does he deal with addiction? Because it destroys your life and it will be a, a generational curse that will go down the line, line after person after person until it's broken through the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is here to break the bondage of sin in our lives today. Will you bow your head with me? I really believe that there's someone here today and God has just spoken to you about just aligning your life with him. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He doesn't care, he doesn't care as much ab about what you've done or what you're doing, but he, he, he cares about your heart and he cares about your life. He wants to restore your soul. And Jesus is calling you today. And he's saying, come home. Where you're at is not home. That misery that you're in is not home. Come home where there's peace. Come home where there's joy. Come home where there's faithfulness and restoration. And if that's you and you want to come home, you're saying, Lord, I, I want to come home. Just raise your hand. Not, let, let, let the Lord just see that. I want to come home. Just say, yeah. Praise God for those hands that have come up. I just want to come home. I don't want to get religious. I just want to come home. Amen. See those beautiful hands there. That's God. It's between you and God. It's not between you and anybody else but God. Will you pray this with me? Dear God, I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. Today, I'm making a decision to make you my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I confess you as Lord. I declare that I will follow you from this day forward. Help me in my stumbling. I believe that you're alive. That you rose from the dead on the third day and you're coming back for me. And Lord, I want to be counted worthy. And by that I mean not worthy in what I do, but worthy in trusting in your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.